Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Beard. Once again, and always, we are joined by our co-host, Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello, everyone. Wow, I feel like I've been a bit of a pincushion this weekend, Vince. I've um, I've had to go and get loads of travel vaccinations, which, I mean, first world problems. I mean, I'm going on to some amazing holidays, but I've had to have several already, and then I've got to go back again next week, and then again in a month. Um, and normally, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fine with needles. You know me; I'm covered in tattoos. It doesn't bother me. But um, yeah, one of them, I had to have J- Japanese encephalitis, and that was quite painful. And I thought normally I would just rest up and thought I'd take it easier but then I was like well actually normally then I can't move my arms so I thought well I'll go to the gym afterwards and try and do like a weightlifting session to try and make sure that my muscles move yeah I shouldn't have done that Ah. (laughs) Ah. okay Um, I'm feeling a bit sore today um yeah both arms can't really lift them above my head so I'm hoping that's gonna fade but um yeah self-inflicted it's because I'm going on some lovely holidays next year how so? How does it work? Like, I mean, do you pay? Do you pay for yourself to do it? Do you get it on the NHS? Do you book an appointment? Um, What's the dealio? It's private. Yeah, you can't get them on the NHS. A lot of them. So, oh, I spent over three hundred pound yesterday, and then I'm going to have another three hundred pound next week, and probably another four hundred pound in a month's time. So, can you order them online? Do it yourself. Can you not get like a discount if you order it on? I don't know on on Vaccine Bay. I mean. I'm sure there are some dodgy websites that you can get like blacklist vaccines, yeah, but um, yeah, just do it uh, myself. Yeah, I don't think I'd trust that. I mean, I I don't think I'd have a massive problem injecting myself, and I'm not queasy when it comes to needles. But no, I would rather go to a reputable pharmacist, and I needed the advice as well about which ones to get and which ones to prioritize, and making sure that they don't interact with each other when you have them done because you've got to have them in different parts of your arm. So. Yeah, that's been my exciting weekend. Um, how's yours been? Good, good. I've spent the I spent the last weekend in uh, in the big city. <laughs> I've been out of London town. I've, I've been to main London. I have been down to south, Maine, southerner for I a day. Have. Yeah, yeah. Well, two days actually. Yeah. A good friend uh, took me uh, took me out to treat me for my fortieth birthday. I've had two birthday weekends. I'm spoiling myself. So um, she took me to uh, see Ricky Gervais on Friday night. We had amazing seats. We're right near the front. I've loved. I have loved Ricky Gervais for over twenty years. You know, I'm of a certain age where I, when I went to uni, we bonded over the office. So the office was massive. Came out in what two thousand and one. And yeah, uh, I started right. uni in 2003, 20 years ago. And, uh, all of us, we bonded over the office. That's what we'd do. We'd go out and after we came home from uni night, we'd sit and watch the office on repeat. And uh, so Ricky Gervais always had a, like, a big cultural sort of meaning in my life. And I've loved everything he's done. I think he's hilarious. So I had seen him, actually. I'd seen him in person 2005 when I was doing a bit of media work back then. I um, I saw him in the green room of BBC Radio 2, and that was surreal meeting him like there where he was. You know, I'd seen him on telly, I'd loved him, but to go and see him in person, um, uh, see him stand up for the first time was was amazing. So that was really, really good. And then on the Saturday, she took me to the, oh, I felt fancy, Tilly. 
I did the first ever night, the opening night of a brand new musical. Have you um, have you read The Time Traveller's Wife or seen the film or both? Uh, I've seen the film. I haven't read the book. Well, the book's amazing. So I, I read the book, God, 2009, 2010, long time ago now. And it genuinely was the book that got me back into reading. I'd gone five, six years. I hadn't read I hadn't read a single book apart from Harry Potter. And I read two books back to back that really got me back into reading. One was The Time Traveller's Wife and one was The Lovely Bones. And I love Time Traveller's Wife. Amazing. And I love the film as well. There's a TV series as well that I haven't seen. So, yeah, I, I went on Saturday. I went to the opening night of a brand-new musical. And... Um, do you know the singer Joss Stone? You know who Joss Stone is? Yeah, back in the day, throwback. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Joss really Stone, Joss Stone, and Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart is uh, was with Annie Lennox in the Eurythmics. So Joss Stone did the lyrics for the musical, and um, Dave Stewart did the, the the music. We were sat next to Joss Stone. So my friend oh, who I was wow. with saw this this these three people in front of us trying to take a picture of themselves. And she said, no more, I'll take a picture of you. And then as she went to take the picture and the lady turned round, we're like, oh, I just took the picture. They turned round. And we didn't realise it was Josh Stone because he used to have blonde hair, but she's got it dark mm. now. And then just before the, the show started, the um, the producer said, well, it's our opening night, you know, we welcome everybody. And in the crowd, we've got Josh Stone and this lady who my friend had literally just taken a picture of stood up and it's like, oh my God, we're right next to Josh Stone. You've just taken a picture of her, helping her out. And it's like amazing, but it was superb. It was, you know, I, I, the musical was absolutely amazing, but not only was the musical amazing and the company was amazing as well, but to be at the opening night of a musical. I mean, I, I love musical theatre. I, I, I never used to like it, but I, I dated a girl many years ago who was a musical theatre kid and she got me into it. And ever since then, I've loved it. But yeah, it was There's amazing. There's something so magical about the theatre, isn't it? I've Yeah, I've never been to an opening night performance, but that just sounds incredible. Oh, uh, I'd have to I, go I and see it thought. at some point. Ah, yes. I never thought a man like me would, uh, would, would get to enjoy such culture in London's West End. Well, um, well, I don't even know how to jump into this, the title of this podcast this week, Tilly, but it's uh, it's a grim one. It genuinely is a grim one. But we've got to do this such such as the nature of our work. We do have to, uh, I was going to say occasionally, but more than occasionally, quite regularly, we do have to quite regularly tackle difficult subjects such as the nature of the beast. So this week's podcast, guys, we are going to discuss what should we do with parents who murder their partners it's a very very difficult topic this week and if you haven't already guessed and read the title on this one um, we are going to be talking about very very graphic things we are going to be talking in particular about a woman who was murdered by her estranged husband uh, we are going to be talking about the ramifications of that what it meant in that situation for the the murdered woman jade marsh we are going to be talking about what we do in these situations, the law that's changed, and what me and Tilly think of that, and what we think of the moral dilemmas and ethics regarding that. It is going to be a heavy-hitting topic, such as a lot of our podcasts are. Uh, I would say, if 
any of you guys are sensitive to this, uh, you know, you might want to consider not listening, but that would be downplaying an issue that everybody will be sensitive to. It is impossible for us to talk about something like this and it not be distressing. We'll certainly try our best, but I wanted to put that out there just to make sure everybody was clear about the nature of what we're going to be discussing today. So Tilly, is there anything you want to add in terms of, you know, giving people a heads up before we get into it? No, I think you've covered everything there. It's going to be a, a tough one this week. It is. So to start off, guys, I'm just going to explain a little bit about what's happened here and why we're discussing this. You may have seen a couple of stories over on mysocialworknews.com about this. One we ran late last week on the 5th of October, and the other one was my follow-up. So we ran the news piece, and then um, I usually write a column every Thursday, and I write a, I wrote a, a response to that on this occasion. So if you head over to mysocialworknews.com, you can have a look at those. If you just go on the search bar, type in J or Jade's Law or Jade Ward and you will find those stories. They should still be on the main page as well if you listen to this around the time of publication when it first comes out over Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. But if not, top left of every page is a little search icon. Just click in Jade there and you should find the two stories we're going to be referring to. So in particular, this story um, relates to Jade Marsh. Um, now, she's also known as Jade Ward because Marsh was her estranged husband's, her murderer's name, and she uh, has been reverted to being known as Jade Ward. And I think that's rightly so, Tilly. I think it's right that her family's asked her to be known as Jade Ward instead of bearing the name of the man that murdered her. We can we can agree with that, certainly, can we not? Definitely, yeah. I think that's entirely appropriate. So, um, Jade's... Uh estranged husband, Russell Marsh, was convicted uh, of murder. He'd admitted manslaughter, tried to go for the lesser offence, but he was convicted of murder at Mould Crown Court last year. In April 2022, he was given a life sentence with a minimum term of 25 years. He'd attacked Jade the week after she had left him, um, stabbed her multiple times and strangled her in the home and shot in Flincher. The murder had happened over three years ago in August 2021. Uh, in sentencing, Marsh, Judge Reese Rollins described it as a savage and merciless attack. And he said that Marsh had been consumed with self-pity and jealousy when he went to his ex-wife's home and carried out a prolonged and cruel attack while their couple's four children slept upstairs. He was described as a controlling and possessive partner. He told friends that if he could not have Jade, then nobody could. And tragically, as Judge Rowland said in his sentence until he, that transpired to be the truth. We obviously hear that with many, many heinous men. But in this situation, Marsh actually carried out on that awful, vexious threat. Um, it was a very, very difficult murder to read about. Of course it was, such as all attacks are. But the fact that their um, four children were sleeping upstairs as he did this, it's difficult to put this on a gradient, Tilly. I'm certainly not downplaying all murder is a heinous and evil crime that cannot be excused in any way whatsoever. But in this situation, the fact that he did so while the couple's four children were asleep upstairs, to me, it adds an extra element of, of, of evil to this. I mean, am I wrong in saying that or do you kind of get where I'm coming from? 
No, I completely agree. He, he showed no thought whatsoever to those children, no matter what he felt towards Jade. And, and let's be clear, what he did was abhorrent. But no matter what her, his feelings towards her, he should never have put his children in that situation. Just shows a complete and utter lack of care for them. So the reason we're discussing um, a murder that happened two years ago and a sentence that happened over a year ago, guys, is that in the past week, there's been a new law that is coming coming into effect. It's been announced to be coming into effect to better protect children in this situation. So we've already got a bill called the Victims and Prisoners Bill, and this is going to be amended. Rishi Sunak um, announced, and the Justice Secretary, Alex Chalk, announced that... Uh, this Victims and Prisoners Bill is going to be amended. So parents who kill a partner or ex-partner with whom they have children will automatically have their parental responsibility suspended upon sentencing. Essentially, guys, this rule will apply to anyone convicted of the murder or voluntary manslaughter of a person with whom they share parental responsibility and would then be reviewed swiftly by a judge to assure it's in the best interest of the child. An automatic exemption would be put in place in cases where a domestic abuse victim kills their abuser, though. This law has an exemption that says if somebody has been the long-term victim of domestic abuse and they retaliate eventually and killed their abuser, they will not lose their PR. Do you think that's right to have this exemption within this bill? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I... So those sorts of cases are the most tragic ones, I think. Mm. Um, and you can completely see sometimes why, whilst not excusing their actions, but you can see what led to that. So I'm glad that that's been put into the proposed changes. I think that was important and, and, and credit credit to the government for doing that. And credit to the MOG for looking at the Ministry of Justice for actually considering that and putting that. I, th I think that was important. I'm glad that's been raised. I mean, look, all of these things are reviewed by a judge anyway, but I think the automatic exemption being in there is really important. So this bill, guys, essentially, it aims to... It's not there. It's not there to punish the perpetrators of these murders. It's, it's not there for an additional punishment. It's there to better protect children because this prevents killers from essentially having any say over key elements of their life. Those could be things like whether they can access therapeutic, therapeutic support, medical interventions, go on holidays, change schools, apply for passports, and so on. And importantly, it also means that the family of the bereaved so the grandparents of children, the aunts and uncles of children when their parent has died and been killed by their other parent, it means that those family members will no longer have to go through the current process of applying to restrict PR through the family courts. This reduces a massive burden because look, imagine that, Tilly, imagine that, you know, you've lost, you've lost your daughter. And then because of that, you've got care of your children by virtue of a special guardianship order. In addition to the grieving process, in addition to the harrowing details of those cases that are coming out in the media and through the court process, you also then have to go through the family court system in order to restrict the parental responsibility of the man or woman that murdered your child. Ha horrible. I mean, how on earth did we put people through that for so long until this law changed? I can't believe it. It's one of those really bizarre parts of the law that I can't believe it's taken this long to change. Yeah. That should never happen. 
Um, the family court system is a difficult one to navigate at the best of times, but when you're in that sort of heartbreak and after that trauma, that just is completely unnecessary. So I'm really, really pleased that this is being brought in. So, Tilly, your worship, that's what I refer to you as, don't I? Your worship. <laughs> it is that's indeed. correct, isn't it? Yep. So, your worship, before we get into discussing the specifics about Jade's law, you know, the law we've just discussed, which is named after Jade, let's talk a little bit about your views on the murder and sentencing. So this this evil man has been sentenced to life with a minimum term of 25 years. How do you view those life sentences, but with a minimum term? Do you believe life should mean life? Or do you believe in cases like this, it should be life, but 25 years? Because this man's 29. You know, he's already served two years on remand. So he could potentially be out by the time he is 52. Mm. He could be out by the time he's 52. Yeah. I mean, it. in all honesty, it's quite unlikely that he'll be out to that soon. We get that, but so should life be life? In some situations, yes. In some situations, no. And I know that's about uh, that's a bit of sitting a on the fence. Sitting answer. on the fence, you worship. But- <laughs> you meant to be. You meant to be sitting on the bench, not sitting on the fence. Well, oh, of course. Um, no, it. Every single case has its own circumstances, and if I'm completely honest, I think 25 years for for this man is is far too low. That is. Are you allowed to give views on enough. this? By the way, I'm not I getting mean- you in trouble. You're not bad. Are you allowed to discuss? No, this? no, no, no. Because I'm not criticising the judge because the judge has sentenced Good. within the sentencing guidelines, yes. and it's is is doing exactly what they should be doing. I think there needs to be change in the law to amend those sentencing guidelines. I think 25 years, especially for someone so young, is a very small sentence for something such as abhorrent as it as he murdered his ex partner. In, in a very brutal way. Um, for some murders, not that we should... I, it's difficult, because all murders is, is wrong, but there are some murders that are worse than others by the nature of how they are committed, how long they've been premeditated for, whether there's a particular sort of sadistic element to it, or in cases where there's domestic violence. I think there should be an increase in the minimum term for these sorts of murders, but it's it is difficult because our prison systems are incredibly overstretched. I mean, they they are dire. We are in a real terrible situation in the UK with our prison systems. And it also doesn't give the person the opportunity to atone or make amends for what they've done. There's no sort of rehabilitation with whole life orders. And hmm. whilst they're right in certain cases. Um, I wouldn't want it to. I wouldn't want to see a blanket um, whole life order, and by that I mean that the, the person stays in prison for the rest of their life for every single murder, because circumstances should dictate that there are some crimes that people can atone for, and there is rehabilitation out there. Um, it, it it can be possible, but yeah, I I, I think in this case, twenty five years, not to criticise the judge, but to criticise the general system, I think is too low. Yeah, and that's look. That's a fair thing to say. It's it's very very difficult for me to comment on this. To be perfectly honest, because I don't know the frame of reference. You know, what else do you do? 
Um, you know, in terms of the frame of reference by that, I mean, obviously I know what this man has done. I mean, in terms of the sentences and so on, I, I, I know very little about sentencing guidelines. Um, what I would say about prisons is I do struggle with people who've committed non-violent crimes and crimes that don't pose a threat to the wider community being sent to prison. I understand we have to have deterrence for things like tax fraud and so on. I, I certainly do. I certainly understand that. But I, I'm i not sure what purpose sentencing people who've done those crimes to prison really serves society. And that's that's where no, I would I mean, look at changing things. Yeah. Prison is a very dangerous place. Um, and I think sometimes the media can portray prison as being a bit of an easy ride, like a hotel. And don't get me wrong, we're not we're not in in the horrendous states with prison. People do have human rights. They do have a minimum standard of care. But prison life is not easy. And you're mixing with some very dangerous and very violent people. Certainly, I know when we talked about the Lucy Letby case, Lucy will be at extreme risk for the rest of her life in the prison system, not just from the fellow prisoners, but from the prison officers as well. And we've already seen that, that she's been attacked in prison. We, we heard about that in the media. Um, so for any crimes committed against women and children or disabled people, um, often a lot of the so-called retribution is paid by the other prisoners. There is definitely a hierarchy in prisons and it's not, it, it won't be an easy time for him in there, especially with the, the public nature and the public profile of the case. Yeah, so, sex offenders and attacks. 25 years. Attack. Yeah, yeah. So 25 years doesn't sound like that long, but in other ways, that, that's a really long time to be locked up. Um, so... I don't think there's a right or wrong answer in these cases. And there, for the grace of God, could be any of us that, that have a loved one that's that's murdered and then have to face the fact that a, a, the, pers- the perpetrator or the killer ha- gets let off with quite a minimal sentence. That must feel horrendous for the victim's family. I'm yeah. sure Jade's family would want a much harsher sentence than that. And yeah. it's a balancing act, I think, between the rights of the victims and their families and caught the issue itself and as well as the, the perpetrator's human rights um, and the possibility of rehabilitation. There's a lot of factors to balance and these sentences are, are passed with great care from the judges. I don't think that always necessarily gets portrayed in the media. Even myself as a, as a magistrate, when we're sentencing very low level crime in some respects um each sentence that we pass takes a great deal of thought and scrutiny and consideration nothing is done lightly within the court system and i think that's perhaps where the public don't necessarily see that 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 thought that goes into it and the fact that we're working with these sentencing guidelines set by the government um it's a lot more carefully considered than people would have uh, would than people would want to believe and that's where I've come to you for you on that, Your Worship. Thank you ever so much. <laughs> Case dismissed. Um, let's talk back out of Jade's Law now. Now, I'll give my views first till I usually have, have to say, right, what do you think? But we'll be fair this time. I'll give my views first. Um, 
on the surface, I think Jade's Law is a, is a, is a really good idea. I, I really can't. I can't find any fault with it, to be perfectly honest. Um, and believe me, I've tried, as such as I always do. No, I, I haven't intentionally tried to find fault with this, but I thought where could, you know, I played devil's advocate with it. I thought where where could the problems be this? And we'll get into some of those a bit later on the show. We'll talk about perhaps some of the ethical dilemmas regarding it. But with the law itself, I, I think it is it is an excellent idea, especially in the context of what it saves the bereaved family from going through. It really does. It saved the bereaved family because they've already had to fight through and go through one court process in relation to the criminal courts, in relation to the prosecution and trial and sentencing of the perpetrator. And to think they have to make steps to then go and protect the, the surviving children through the family courts as well. Now, while that law was in place, of course, that had to be done. You can't just wipe that. You have to follow due diligence. You have to follow the legal system. But like we were just talking about, the fact that it's taken so long to get to this point is an unusual one. And as you pointed out yourself, it's been a strange and and weird quirk in the law that we forced families to do that. And credit to Jade's family, because it was them that campaigned for this. You know, If it wasn't for their family, if it wasn't for Jade's family campaigning tirelessly to change the law and stop her murderer from being able to continue to take part in decisions related to the four children, and to stand up and say, well, this trauma is unfair. How dare this be allowed to happen? If it wasn't for them fighting against this, this wouldn't have been put in place. And look, a lot of people criticise the government for a lot of things. I haven't seen any criticism of this whatsoever. And I, I would fall in line with that one. I, from my position, don't see this as anything but a good thing. It is an automatic application. And most importantly, there will be a review by a judge to ensure it is in the best interest of the child. And I like that because perhaps you might be talking about an older child here, and we'll get into talking about consideration of children later, but perhaps you might be talking about an older child who says, well, actually, I don't want that. He might have done this, but he's still my dad. And if you take my dad away as well, then I've lost both parents. So there could be extrange exceptions where it isn't deemed in the best interest of the children in a case like this when the children were asleep in that room in that house and it didn't uh, it didn't offer any sort of motivation to steer that father's hand and what he was about to do in this situation it can't be anything else but in the children's best interests that's my view though tilly what would your take be do you agree with jade's law if so why yeah, I, I share your views completely on this. Um, and we don't often praise the government. I think there's very, very few times that we ever have, um, and quite rightly so, because they don't always make the best decisions. But this is inevitable. And uh, I'm really pleased that they've taken on board the tireless campaign that Jade's family has run, because it's necessary. And like you, I'm pleased that it's a suspension, not an automatic ending of PR I think mm. that's a really important point because um, certainly maybe teenagers might have a, a different view and there could be specifics within the case because every case is different that means that actually it, it's not right that the that parental responsibility is suspended and that's where having an independent um, judicial oversight on it will ensure that it's right but suspending yes. it sentence seems to be the most sensible way forward. Excellent. Now, now, I said just before when I was discussing that, I'm going to come under the kind of ethical ethical implications here. So 
I'm going to ask you this one, and I'll tackle this myself, but I'm going to ask you this first. Is there an ethical issue here in the fact that we're essentially orphaning children? And the reason I ask this is these children and they're going to be in these situations have just lost one parent. Yes, at the hands of the other parent, but they've just lost one parent. Is it right and is it morally just that we legally orphan these children by taking away their other parent too? So... In this situation, I would come back to well, a bit of law, actually. The Children Act and, and Section 1 of the Children Act 1989 is saying that the child's welfare is paramount. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important thing to consider here. And that in, in this circumstances with Jade's children, they were present in that house when she was murdered. There is no way that parental responsibility for the father should have been, shouldn't have been suspended. Of course it should have. Um, I think it's a technicality about orphan, legally orphaning a child because the, the state isn't killing the father and we're not going to talk about capital punishment. Um, but, you know, my views about that, it, it's completely indefensible. So we're not we're not killing him. We're just saying that actually you can't have the legal say in what happens with the children and in the, in making decisions in terms of their welfare. So. I think I don't really see that there's much of an ethical dilemma here. I think it's it's just the right thing to do. But okay, tell what me. are your thoughts? I'm going to ask you another question. I'm going to ask you a follow-up. Of course, I'm going to ask you a follow-up. I'm not going to, oh. let, let, you, I'm not going to let you get away with it that easy, Tilly. Surely, surely you know me well enough by now. I'm not going to <laughs> put you on the spot a little bit. So, okay, I get that. I agree with you on that. Let's say I agree with you on that one. But... You've worked in child protection before, and I'm pretty sure you've come across similar positions in your time as an adult social worker and manager and, and various other roles you've held. We know lots of people, and let's say, let's say men, usually men, let's say men. Sorry, all the men who are listening. I am one, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it. We know lots of men who are horrific to their partners, but are brilliant with their kids. Is that fair to say, or is that controversial of me to say Mm-hmm. Yes, it is fair. I think it's a small minority because mm-hmm. we all know that if that partner is putting their other partner through domestic violence mm-hmm. and the child is witnessing it, or even if they're not witnessing it, they're just part of the household where it's happening, we know that the damage that that has on children and that can't be diminished. So, which I get, which I get. I, but in I terms of the child's just eyes... Just about get what you're saying. But in terms of the child's yes, eyes, they, they could be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So go we'll, on so, then. Right. So, the, I mean, so look, you, you get look. I, 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 I'm certainly not downplaying this. I've been in child protection for eleven years now. I've seen horrific things that men have done to women in front of the kids, not in front of the kids. I've known, I've heard it far too many times. I could not even remember how many. Oh, well, it's okay. The kids were asleep upstairs. The kids didn't see. I've heard that justification. I'm not downplaying that. I know that. But equally, I'm very, very objective in terms of my work. Obviously, I'm subjective when it comes to the analysis. I frame it through my own professional lens and experience and knowledge. But I am objective when it comes to an evidence-based risk assessment. And... It is not right, it is not just, it is not fair, and it is not correct to automatically say that 
any man who harms a child's mother, his partner, his wife, girlfriend, fiance, however you want to describe her, is automatically an awful dad. That isn't correct, Telly. And the reason I'm, it sounds strange to have to make that point, I have to make that point because that nuance is so often missed. It's so often missed. Social work isn't as binary as that. Life isn't as binary as that. Relationships aren't as binary as that. There are many, many men out there who do horrific things to their partners, but would never do anything to their children because their children, sometimes, sometimes the most horrific men have a, a massive aversion to anything happening to the children because the children are an extension of them and an extension of their own ego. Am I wrong for saying that? Yeah. No. I think it's a very small minority, though. It is. I'll give um, you that. Yeah. So I would like to cautionary say yes, but um, it, it's not often. So in that case, and I'm, I'm I'm certainly not agreeing in this, but in that case, could there not be an argument? Well, yes, okay. He's murdered. He has murdered the children's mother, but he's an excellent. I feel stupid just saying that, actually, to be honest. But could could <laughs> I'm like, have you heard yourself? I know, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I mean... I'm not sounds stupid. But could there could there potentially be any? I mean, obviously, I don't agree with that. But could there potentially be any argument? From that front, saying, oh, well, you know, I might have done this, but I always took little Johnny to school. Mm, yeah, but you still took away little Johnny's mother, didn't you? And uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I I, would be very su- surprised. Um, but that is the, the, the beauty of having it just suspended and not automatically exactly, taken away. Because exactly. if that is the situation, then the judge can hear all of the evidence and the facts and make a balanced decision. Um, but yeah, I will. I'll be very surprised if I see that one come to fruition. I no, will no, um, then, eat my words if I do. No, no, and I totally agree with that. I'm literally just, I'm just putting it out there to play devil's advocate, just because it's important for you to flesh these things out. And any equally in relation to you know men that harm their children's mother. Um, yes, they can still have admirable qualities as a father, and I think it's fair to point them out, but those things don't balance out and wash out the bad that they've done. They need to be considered, and they do need to be considered. We have to, I think we have a right as social workers. If we have a right to criticise, we have a right to praise as well. We cannot just focus on the negative. Now, there might be very, very few positives there, but in every single parent assessment I have ever done, I always look for positives. And there always is something. There always is, this is usually far more than just, one thing or some things there's usually a lot because good people do bad things and i always yeah. keep and by the very nature that yeah by the very nature that they're engaging in the assessment with you Bingo. so is a strength because they it could is. just walk away and exactly. not want anything to do with the child so so yeah that that is a positive in itself but but yeah going back to the the murdering and especially when the children are present in the house i think yeah, there's no going no, back from totally that right. and I, I don't think that there's any decision that would be made that would allow the parent to keep their PR it is right and I like you I fully support this now does this law go far enough though so currently as it stands Jade's law says that this stipulation of removing PR will apply to parents who have been convicted of murder or voluntary manslaughter of a person with whom they share parental responsibility. 
That's the specifics of the law. As you know yourself, as a magistrate, your worship, that is what will be followed. But how about this? Should this not be extended to other areas? What about involuntary manslaughter? What about attempted murder? What about serious assaults? What about sexual assaults? What about grievous bodily harm and so on? Should this go beyond murder and voluntary manslaughter alone? Mm. That's a really difficult one because I suppose the crux of the issue is that murder or voluntary manslaughter or anything that results in the death of the partner means that 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 deceased person cannot what would one doesn't have pr anymore because they're, they're no longer with us but they're not able to give their views mm-hmm. um and the other crimes attempted murder sexual assault gbh is as abhorrent as they are that person is still alive and is still able to give their views and will then be able to be heard through the courts yeah, but they've got to go through the courts, though. They've got to go through the courts. Is that yeah. not worse? So you've, you know, yeah, if do. that person's faced, if, if that person's almost been murdered by their ex-partner, the father of their children. Again, guys, we're referring to men here, but let's get real. It's the vast majority of men that do these things. Not the vast majority of men. I'm not saying like 99 percent of men do these things. I'm no, no, like no, no. The vast majority. Don't get cancelled, Vince. Don't get cancelled. Me too. Um, <laughs> the vast majority of these crimes are perpetrated by men. So I'm lazily referring to men here, guys. Sorry, you'll have to accept that. The surviving partner. They have survived. They survived an attempted murder. They've survived. That might have been done in front of the children. They potentially survived an attempted mm. murder in front of the children. They've potentially gone through a horrific sexual assault that the children have seen. And it's not that person's family that are dragged through the court system. It's that person themselves. Is that not worse mm. in a way? I suppose you could. it could be. Yeah. Um. It's where do you stop and where do you draw the line? That's the issue. I think it's it's quite clear cut when it's murder or yes, voluntary it's manslaughter. Final. That's finite. Death. Yes. Yeah. Um, and other crimes like GBH or grievous bodily harm or attempted murder, sexual assault, mm-hmm. they can range very, very significantly. Um, and the the crime or the the punishment or the sentence can be varying greatly on mm-hmm. on some of those crimes so would it be right that if someone gets a year in prison that then they're they're suspended pr i, I don't know could I, this I not don't be know. considered within the criminal courts though could this sure. not be considered within the criminal courts i.e could it not be a case of right judges within the criminal courts facing these decisions have the ability to consider well the cps would put it forward on behalf of the victim so the Crown Prosecution Service, yeah. on behalf of the victim, could essentially put forward as part of these trials for attempted murder, for sexual assaults, for GBH, and any of these horrific crimes that you know a partner could suffer at the hands of their ex. Could the Crown Prosecution Service not say, well, as well as seeking this, um, the victim seeks this? Or are we saying, well, 
we've actually got the vessel of the family courts to do that. You know, the family courts can hold the responsibility for that. We can essentially automatically, the local authority can tell a parent, right, you've got to stop all contact whatsoever. And this is what happens in these situations. You know, parents are quite clearly told to stop all contact in its entirety. If the offending parent wants to seek contact, they're advised to go for the family court. And this is dealt with by the family courts and, you know, Kafka's of the local authority. Are we going to say that that is a sufficient vessel and sufficient means enough for the situation as is currently followed? Because as you've said, you've got the surviving parent who can give their views or is that something we do not want to clog up the family courts with? And is that something we do not want the surviving parent to have to go through? And what are we saying on this one? I'm going to put you on the spot. Which way are you going? <laughs> Gosh, I've really been put on the spot today. Um, I mean, we we have restraining orders that mm-hmm. the CPS can ask for, which is different to non-molestation orders within the family court. Yeah. That on sentence, the victim can ask that that the perpetrator doesn't have any contact with them or doesn't go to certain places. Um, it's different when it's I, well. Actually, I don't know if it's different if it if it's a child and not the victim themselves because then you're extending the court's reach beyond the victim to That's a very fair other, point. Others. It's affecting the child um, who perhaps wasn't the victim who may have been in their different home or not even had anything to do with it. Yeah. And I think I think we could easily get into the argument about where does it stop? That's a fair we do point have the family courts that are the mechanism for that. So yeah. I don't know. I what don't do know. you do? What, well what are your thoughts? Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking you've got you've got the other issue here is that if you've got a man that's done this and he's got multiple children over multiple relationships, you're going to suspend his PR and say, well, he's such a risk to those children, but not the others. Then it becomes problematic. That's an equally good point. Because if yeah, all my yeah. if, if this is coming about due to a sentencing, um, and all, does it automatically apply just to? And it's again that, that look that could be the very well the case in in Russell Marsh that we've just been talking about. I don't believe that he has got children with another partner, but what happens in that situation? You just suspend his PR. I suppose that is it. Actually, you know, the law seems to be quite clear in terms of what I've read in its report and this week that you just suspend his PR. Well, okay, you can then continue to go down the route with children with another woman. It's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. But are we saying that in general, the family courts can serve their purpose for surviving parents, but this really is there for parents that are killed? That's that's why it works in that sense? Yeah, I think initially, I think that's where the line should be drawn. But I mean, I'm open. I could be swayed with further consideration from the government or think tanks and further research on the matter. Um I think it's an interesting debate to have, and it's certainly given me a lot of food for thought because I, I, it is that eth- ethical and moral dilemma about where do we stop, how far do we go to protect others and infringe on someone's rights, and when yes. rights are qualifying and they interact with each other in different ways. We all have human rights, but they don't. It's not always clear cut about which right trumps another right. So let's end on this one then, because I think for me, being a child protection social worker, this is always the the centre of my practice is child's best interests and have the child's voices been, have the children's voices been heard. So in this situation, Tilly, when this is applied automatically, yes, we know there's a judicial review of it. 
But are the children's voices being heard here? Is this the right thing for children in this situation? Would you want this for your children? If you were murdered by your partner and you had children, would you want this for your children? Yes, definitely. And it it gives them that opportunity to have their voice heard later on. But I think as mm. an emergency protective measure, I think suspending it is the right thing to do. If you were a child and that had happened with your parents, would you want this as well? Yes, I would. Yeah, I think it would be very easy to be manipulated by the surviving parent who had done the murdering of your other parent. And I think it would give you that space to just make sure that you're okay and you're getting your own support and, and trauma-related support for that. And just giving you that break and that separation for a little bit, I think would be really important. I agree. I agree because I think you made a, a salient point at the start of this show, which is, look, it might sound as if you're legally or orphaning these children, but you're not because the other parent's still there. You know, the child always maintains the right when they're old enough that can go and visit the parent who's in prison. They can make that effort to contact them themselves and they're always going to be there if they want those answers and they want to ask questions, eventually they can. Um, they can do that, whereas obviously the, there's no more with the parent that was killed. So overall, I fully agree with this. And I, yes, we're kind of splitting hairs in a certain aspect. That's the whole point of a discussion. But I think, you know, us looking at this and breaking it down and with the analysis we've got, looking at it from both angles, looking for potential other angles here. I think overall we can fully support something like this. And it's just a feel for the families that had to go through this before and what heinous things for those murdering parents to use that family court system as a further vehicle to exact more pain upon the bereaved families that have been left behind after they've done their evil deeds. That is a sense of callous wickedness, the likes of which I could never even comprehend. Yes, I think it's really important that we remember those families and uh, uh, we can look forward to the future where future families, because we know that this things like this are going to happen again. It's inevitably yes. as tragic as it is. It, it will happen. Um, we know it does. Um, that those future families will have that little si tiny sense of relief in such an enormous, painful situation. Oh, well said, my friend. Well said indeed. So, guys... A very difficult, a very difficult podcast today. We know that. And, um, you know, thank you for sitting and listening to that with us. And hopefully you've had something to consider and reflect upon within your own practice there. As always, you can head over to mysocialworknews.com. You can check out our stories that we've discussed regarding this. And just as a final message, just to say rest in peace to Jade Ward and thanks to her family for fighting to bring this law in place. Jade, this law will forever bear your name and thanks to your family's efforts, your memory will live on because of this and other people's children will not have to go through what yours and your family potentially had to go through because of what you suffered at the hand of their father. So rest in peace, Jade. We are thinking about you and our thoughts and prayers are with your family and all those affected by this too. Until next week, 
it is goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs>